Thanks so much for joining us today. We're glad you guys are here. And you know, last week, Pastor Craig Rochelle did an amazing job, of course. It was great to have him here. And I'm just so excited to be able to follow the pastor of the largest church in America. That's just great. Thanks a lot. So that's not what I like to do, right? Like, like I tell these preachers to come in here, I'm like, you got to do bad so I look good. What are you doing, man? You messed it up. And so anyways, no, he did such a great job. He did such a, a phenomenal job talking about the church at Laodicea. And so we want to make sure we have him back. And he always does a great job. He's such a dear friend and mentor, and I'm grateful for him. But today we're continuing talking about the book of Revelation. I'm excited about this, this entire series. And so I'm not going to lie, though, this is definitely a lot of studying for me. I'm like, man, there's a lot of detail in the book of Revelation. And so there's so much, actually, I have to kind of call it down and decide like what thing I'm going to talk about. So if you've been staying up with us the first week, we talked about the throne room of God, which is in Revelation 4. Last week, Pastor Craig gave us a, a great message on one of the seven churches that were talked to directly uh, by, uh, by, Rep, by Jesus in the book of Revelation. And then today, I want to jump into the tribulation time period. And so honestly, this is when you kind of enter some of the scary stuff. And so this is the kind of stuff that people kind of freak out over, like, whoa, what does that mean? What? Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Now, if you read just... just Casually just open up the book of Revelation, start reading. I'm sure you do it all the time. Anyways, if you do that, if you start reading it, it's confusing. But what's not confusing is like the seven seals. It just all that really is is where Jesus just like unseals these events, these catastrophic events, and they happen in, in order. And it, it's pretty self-explanatory. So I don't want to go into that. Uh, but just know that there's all these like fires, tornadoes, war, famine, pestilence, you name it, just goes boom, 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 all in a row. And we're going to talk about why that happens in just a moment. But all that goes on. But in the middle of that, something very unique happens uh, that most people don't understand. So I'm going to unpack that today. So I'm just going to kind of go in the order of the timeline of Revelation. Then next week, we're going to talk about the millennial reign of Christ and also, um, that's a thousand years. And then also, uh, what happens like last day, the last day of the whole world, boom, what happens? So we'll talk about that next week. But let's just start with the beginning of that timeline this week. So if you got your notes, pull those out. In fact, if you don't have our app, I highly recommend it because all our notes are already right there for you on the, on the Church Unlimited app. Download that today from the Android or the iPhone store. Please do that. And so let's say our mission statement together, first of all. What are we here to do as a church? We're to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. So the very first thing that we see in the events that happen in the end times, today is end times timeline. The first thing is this. Event number one is that Christ will come to take us to heaven. That's how really it all begins as Christ comes to take anyone who's received Christ, who's prayed that prayer that we pray at the end of every one of our services. You, if you prayed that prayer, whether it was in church or out of church or wherever you were, if you just cried out to Christ and made him your savior, then you are in what's, your, your name is literally written in a book in heaven called the Lamb's Book of Life. And so your name is in that book. You've already become a Christ follower. And so that means when Jesus comes back in the blink of an eye, you will, be ascend, you will ascend to heaven. We all will that if we've received Christ. And so where does this show us the scripture? Check it out. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, it will take only a second. As quickly as an eye blinks, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever and we will all be changed. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, just let me tell you right now, I hope I'm somewhere near a cemetery when this happens. Literally, this means graves are going to break open 
And it's not going to be scary, though, because we're all imagining like some kind of crazy dead person, like body coming out. But no, no, no. These are actually people, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So if you, when you die, you're immediately with the Lord, okay? And you have your new heavenly body, which is a good thing, right? And so your, your body will we'll be able to recognize each other in heaven. I don't know if you knew that, but we'll be able to know who you are. So just imagine you in your perfect state. Ladies, you'll be your perfect weight. Your hair will be perfect. Your nails will have never been better, right? I'm just telling you, right? Everything will be perfect, right? And so in your perfect state. So if you're near your cemetery, you will see all these graves open. And it's not going to be dead bodies coming out. It's going to be brand new, fresh, heavenly bodies coming out of all the saints who have already died before us, all the people who, who have already accepted Christ, who have passed away. They will come to life. So what that means is God's going to have them re-enter the tombs. It's basically like a big show. He's like, hey, let's do this. We're going to do it big. So you guys are going to go back into your graves real quick. We're going to pop them open. We're all going to come out at the same time. Surprise! <laughs> right? And so they all come up. And while that's happening, as soon as they come up out of the graves, we start to literally float up into the air. Did you know that? How cool is that going to be? And then we all join Christ in the air, and then we are taken to heaven. Let me read the scripture. For the Lord himself will, be, will descend from heaven, right? Then it says this, and the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I believe the reason it says encourage one another is because what happens next is when it gets scary. But you and I, listen, for those of you who are anxious about the end of the world, let me just tell you right now, if you've received Christ, you're not here. Like for all the crazy, scary stuff, we're not here. We're already in heaven sipping our heavenly tea. We're chilled. Okay, we're good. And so now those who have not received Christ, not so good. Okay, and so this is just one more of many reasons why you probably want to receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Okay, but let me just also stop real quick because theologians, people who study the Bible, uh, have a bit of a disagreement on how this happens and the order of things. We don't disagree on what's going to happen. We disagree on when it's going to happen. And so, but about 80%, I'm, I'm throwing that number out. It could be 75, it could be 95, I'm not sure. But 80% of the theologians that I have personally talked with, I went to seminary, uh, my professors, pretty much 80% of them felt this way. Um, most people believe in what's called the pre-tribulation view of scripture, which means that we believe that we will be taken to heaven pre, before the tribulation begins, before it gets crazy, okay? There's also a mid-tribulation view that about three and a half years into the craziness, then Christians will be taken to heaven. And there's a post-tribulation view that says, basically, you go through all the crazy, horrible stuff, but then right before people are sent to hell, you ascend to heaven. And so, but I believe the scripture is very clear that it's pre-tribulation, but I do feel like it's important for me to acknowledge that there are other viewpoints, okay? And so, well, let me give you the two scriptures. These are just two of many as to why I believe this. Check it out, the scripture. First Thessalonians 1 says, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. That's pretty clear to me that we're not going to be here for any of that. At first, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Now concerning the times and the seasons, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Sudden destruction will come upon them. doesn't say us. Did you notice? Did you catch that word? Them. Then it says this, And they will not escape. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. For God uh, has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he keeps talking about how us, we don't get wrath, them, they do. So there's a clear distinction there. So I believe that that means that Christ will come, take us home, then the tribulation begins. So I guess what I'm trying to say, don't have anxiety about this. You have no reason to be nervous or fearful or, oh my gosh, it's gonna be so horrible. You won't be here. You're not gonna experience it. We get to be 
with God in heaven if we have received his son, Christ, okay? And so this is why I believe those who already know Jesus will not go through the tribulation. So the second event, so I want to park on, spend more time on today. Event number two is the tribulation. And this is after we have ascended to heaven. We're not here, but then it gets pretty cray cray at that point, okay? And so the tribulation has got all kinds of just maddening things that happen. Uh, Jesus releases what's called the four horsemen. There's basically judgments that come upon the earth and there's, there's war and pestilence and famine and, I mean, earthquakes and tornadoes, you name it. But just all of it just kind of comes in waves at, at people. And uh, some people say, well, why would, God, who's, why would God let that happen? Why would he be so cruel? He's actually warning us. In fact, actually, if you, if you ever wanted to know, like, how long is that? It's seven years. It's very clear in Scripture, it's seven years. Why seven? Seven is the number for completion. If you want to understand Revelation, you have to understand symbols and terms have a lot of, symbols and numbers have a lot of meaning. And the word seven, seven years is, is for a reason. Why would God line up all these horrible things in a row? First of all, why would he spell it out for us in Revelation for us to know this? We're not even going to be here. This is where the revelation was not written for us. It was actually at that point written for people who are still here. So let's say you have a cousin or a nephew or a son or daughter, I hope not, that doesn't receive Christ. And now, poof, you're gone. And they're wondering why in the heck is my great aunt, who seemed like a crazy over-religious freak, is now gone. Oh, crap, she was right. The whole time I thought she was nuts, she was right. Now she's in heaven and I'm not. So he's already got a sinking suspicion like, oh, crap, I think I missed it because all the people who I know that claim to be Christians are gone and all the ones who made fun of them are still here with me. So like, what's going on? Then all of a sudden they see this big war break out and then an earthquake happens and the next week there's a fire and after the fire there's a, there's a storm and he's like, wait a minute. And then someone says to him, hey, this seems a lot like what I heard one time in church, a scary story. The preacher said, whoa, let's go find a Bible somewhere. They open up. Oh, wow, this is exactly in the order it says here. It's evidence to them that they need Christ. So the reason why God lets all these things happen in a row in a certain order, and why is it seven years? Because seven is completion. God's saying, I'm giving you a complete and last warning. I'm trying my best to make it so bad that you need Jesus so you don't miss out on heaven. So believe it or not, this is a loving God trying, because he didn't get your attention before Christ came back, so maybe I can get your attention before I end the whole thing, before I wrap up all the world, and then it literally is too late. So, but if you go through all this horrible stuff through these seven years of just sheer torture and pain and difficulty and all kinds of stuff just coming at you in waves, and you still don't recognize there's a God who's, who's there for you, and you cry out to him, at that point, you send yourself to help. Because I warned you over and over and over and over again. Does that make sense? So this is God warning us. And some of you right now are like, wow, this is like, yeah, I came to church to be encouraged. This is, this is crazy stuff. We're going to get there. But I would not be telling you the truth if you didn't understand this happens, that this is coming. Again, we will not be here if we've received Christ. If you have not received Christ, good luck with all that. There's a good reason to do it. You say, are you telling me that I should just receive Jesus just to avoid all this? Well, it's not a bad idea. I think we should receive Christ because we love him and realize he's our savior and that he gives us purpose and he forgives our sins. I think those are all great reasons to receive Christ. But if none of those motivate you, maybe this one will. You can avoid your worst nightmare also. So it's real. It's right there in scripture. Again, I'm not trying to manipulate or scare anyone, but it is a reality. And I feel like you should know that. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. So what is the tribulation? The tribulation is evil, unrestrained. And so believe it or not, as bad as the world seems at times, 
uh, God has allowed evil to be in the world, but he, it is restrained. In other words, like it's not full blown. The devil is not allowed to completely have his way with the world. But at this point, God allows it. The devil can just have his free reign. And so what the devil does next may surprise you because your first thought, if you're like me, would be thinking, oh, he's just going to kill us all. Like that would be what he'd want, right? Because he came to steal, kill, and destroy, right? It's true. But actually, that's not his number one tactic. The devil's number one tactic is the same tactic he uses on you today. His number one tactic is to deceive you, is to lie to you. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. His character is to lie. And so that's what he, he does here. In fact, did you know that in the scripture, we see that what the first thing he does is actually the seals, those are all from God. He's trying to warn us. So what the devil does is try to deceive us. So what does he do? He creates a false deity. He creates a counterfeit trinity. And so I want to show you that in the scripture. How many of you guys have heard of the Antichrist? You ever heard that phrase before, right? Did you know there's also an anti-God and an anti-spirit? There's an anti-father, an anti-son, and an anti-Holy Spirit. So it's a counterfeit trinity. I want to show you that in scripture right now. Check this out. You guys still with me? I hope not losing anybody. You guys with me still? All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 12 says this, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. So John is, is uh, having these visions. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his head. His tail swept one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Now there's a lot there. Again, let me remind you, how do you understand Revelation? You gotta understand numbers, numerology, and you have to understand symbols. There's tons, everything I just read is all symbolism. Okay, so let me break that down. So he says, I see a dragon. He's got seven heads, 10 horns, uh, seven crowns. That description is used not only in Revelation, but in Daniel and other places in scripture. And consistently, we know that this is the devil. And Revelation 3 actually confirms this is what his name was Satan, but he doesn't say here in Revelation 12. Okay, so he assumes you already know that because you've already read the first part of the letter. And so this is actually the devil. And it says here that he swept one third of the stars. Stars actually means angels. So one third of the angels, when the devil turned against God in heaven, uh, God went to war against uh, his, one of his archangels uh, named Lucifer, and he turned against God. So then he became a fallen angel, which we call demons. And so and one third of the angels followed him, and God kicked him out of heaven, and he took one third of the angels with him. Now, for those of you who get freaked out, like, oh my gosh, there's a third of fallen angels that are out to attack me. Yes, and there's two thirds of angels protecting you. Amen. So keep that in mind. Okay? So... May the odds be forever in your favor. <laughs> they are, all right? So what does this mean? It means this, the dragon is the anti-God. So this anti-God creates one world religion opposing God and his word, okay? This is called the anti-God. In fact, it says here that this dragon uh, was, was uh, waiting for the woman to give birth. Some people think, oh, clearly that would be Mary giving birth to Jesus. Well, this isn't heaven. This is a vision, so actually... Some theologians believe it was Mary. I believe uh, what most theologians say, not because I'm so smart, because I'm, I'm reading people a lot smarter than me. They believe that actually this is, Mary is not really Mary in this case. It's Mary's representing Israel because she is, uh, she's Jewish, of Jewish descent. She's of God's people. And so this is the sin of Israel giving birth to the need for a savior. And so that was, that's what that would actually represent. And so either way, I don't have a problem with, I don't, if you say I disagree, I think it's Mary. Okay, that's fine. No big deal. That's your interpretation. Either way works. Uh, but 
if you read the scripture, it continues when, when, when the son is born, when the woman gives birth to, to the son and the devil takes a swipe at him, God snatches the son to protect our salvation. And so and then he sends him to, to, uh, to earth. And so since not since the son yet, sends the devil to earth. And so that's where he reigns. Okay, so let's see what happens next. It says, then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and 10 horns and 10 crowns on its horns. We're gonna explain those 10 crowns in just a moment. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. So the dragon gave the beast its authority. That sounds like how God gave Jesus his authority. Remember, they said, Jesus, what are you here to do? And he said, I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of the Father, right? So you see the counterfeit set up here, that the dragon is supposed to be the counterfeit God. It's supposed to be God. And then this beast is God's son. It's basically what they're trying to do here. And so it says, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound, fatal means deadly, wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. Wow, this is so cool. This beast almost died, but he rose again. Do you see the, the obvious counterfeit Jesus here? That's what they're trying to do. He's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to sell you a counterfeit. And so that's, that's what's going on. It, goes, it says, they worship the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worship the beast. Who is as great as, as the beast, they exclaim. Who is able to fight against him? Just a moment ago in our, in our services, we sang, how great is our God? Can you imagine one day, we don't know if this is 30 years from now or 300 years from now or 3,000 years from now. We don't know when the end's gonna come, but whenever when it comes, at some point, people are gonna gather in this world and they're gonna all sing, how great is our beast? Sick, isn't it? But that's how they'll see him. They'll see him like he's God. And so then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemes against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. 42 months is literally right at the halfway point of seven years. So this is three and a half years in. Um, the, basically, the beast and the dragon are allowed to have free reign and control for the first three and a half years. And so they're, they're able to dominate. You know, later on, we're going to see there's what's called the mark of the beast. Did you guys know what I'm talking about now? They're going to have like a mark on them that will know um, who is associated with this beast. And so I think the mark is going to be a star on the side of a helmet, but that's just me. I mean, I just <laughs> could be wrong. Okay, so I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. And clearly, the Dallas Cowboys are not the beast because it says they have a three and a half year reign, and we know the Cowboys are never going to reign three years in a row. So, okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what? What? I'm just. It's all good. It's all good. I sense the vision in the body of Christ today. I don't know what's going on. Okay, so just kidding. Okay. It says, and he spoke terrible words of blaspheme against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, and that is those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life. So Remember, our names are in the book of life because we received Christ, right? And so this is not us. We are not here. I want to remind you that again. Even in the tribulation, we see we're not here, okay? It says, uh, those are the ones not written in the book of life and belong to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Okay, a couple things I want to point out about the scripture. The first thing is that the beast is the antichrist. I'm going to write that down. The beast is the antichrist. And the beast, this antichrist actually is not a religious leader. This antichrist is actually a political leader. 
And so, and what this, what this Antichrist does is this political leader consolidates governments into one world government, okay? And so that's, that's what's at some point going to happen. This is why, by the way, some people that really study the word of God are very against all the efforts that are being made even today to gather governments together. This is one of the reasons why some people are, are, are real against it whenever people talk about bringing governments together. And so this is also why that if, you, if you study or know any revelation preachers, like I'm not really, I don't count myself as one of those revelation preachers. I don't study just all the time. And it's not like my main focus, but there's pastors I know that I'm friends with that are really into revelation and surprise, surprise, they're really against big government. You see where I'm going here? Okay. And so because this is one giant government, in fact, I noticed I mentioned earlier that this beast has 10 crowns. And so, you know, you know what's about to happen here in America is the, what's called the G7. The G7, for those of you who don't know, that means they're going to get the top seven economies together, the presidents of those seven countries. It used to be called the G8. We kicked Russia out, right? Because they weren't cooperating. The G7, they get together, okay? So just imagine this is like the G10. This will be the top 10 economies coming together. And if you have the top 10 economies of the world coming together, you actually don't need the whole world to agree. You can force the agreement of everyone else. Think about that. If you got China and Germany and America and, you know, the Middle East, you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, the most powerful government there in the Middle East, if you got all those together and they all came in agreement, who could argue with them? I mean, you'd be like, well, we got to do what they want because they're huge. There's, there's 10 of them. And so it'd be, it'd be pretty terrifying, right? And so that's what happens at this point. They all come together. Now, just a couple more things I want to mention. It mentioned uh, a leopard, a bear, and a lion all as one animal. Why would it say that? Because this is referring to um, this government that's, that's brought to this consolidation of power that comes together. Let me break this down. The, first of all, the leopard represents Greece and Rome, which represents luxury. You know, we even still to this day, when they refer to Rome in its, in its, in its heyday, they will they call it the glory of Rome because it was so magnificent. The best example of a luxurious, all-powerful government would have been Rome. Today, if I were to pick out a city in the Middle East that would represent this, it would be Dubai. Dubai would be, you know, what we consider like a, it's like a Middle Eastern Vegas, okay? And so, but it's even far wealthier than Vegas. And so just the, the opulence, the wealth, it's crazy. I'm not saying that that's like where the Antichrist, I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just saying it's going to be a lot of resources and it's going to be attractive. Not, people aren't going to be fearful of this government. They're going to be attracted to this government. Like, oh, wow, I just want to be a part of that. It's going to draw them in. Okay, but then the other side of that is going to be like a bear, which represents Medo-Persia, which is today would be modern-day Iran, which is that was large and dominant. This is very large. Uh, this this government uh, didn't. You did not tell this government what to do. You did not vote in the power. They tell you what you're going to do. And so that's the difference between this government and what we, at, at least at this point in our country, enjoy, which is the freedoms that we have. Uh, the last one here is it's represented by a lion, which represents Babylon, which is also today modern-day Iraq. And this means that it was fierce and cruel. So it was luxurious, it was attractive, it was large, it was dominant, and it was great if you liked it. If you didn't like it, we don't care, we're going to make you. We're going to make you like it. And so this, this, this dominance of government was a big thing. And so the, the, this government was very large, it was controlling, it wanted to control every aspect of your life so you no longer had choices. You, you had to do what they wanted you to do. They made the choices for you. The government that makes all the choices for you. Oh, I could go off right now, but I won't because I'm not trying to make this political, but I do want to tell you something right now, loud and clear. Either side of the aisle, I want to tell you this. Have you ever noticed how people 
can get so into politics it becomes their religion? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Isn't it funny how the same people who are that into, into politics typically also don't like God or believe in him? Well, because they're just, they're just not honest with themselves or honest with you to tell you that, that is their God. The state has become their God. And so whenever we, they, they want to solve world problems, they think it's the state's solution where we believe, no, we don't need to vote a certain person in office. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't vote. We should. We should be involved in political affairs for sure. I think more Christians need to run for office so we can change some things in our country and around the world. That's a good thing. But let me just tell you this right now. As great as that is, the first vote you should have is to vote for Jesus because he's our savior. No one else is our savior. Very important. And we should be voting in politicians that know this Jesus and see this Jesus as their savior too, okay? So again, I'm, I'm really not trying to sway you one way or the other, but I do think you should be, understand, be considering the fact that if you look at Revelation, an all-powerful government is not a good thing, okay? So just, just keep that in mind. Then the third one here is the false prophet of the anti-spirit. So we've got the, the spirit, the beast is the antichrist, and then the false prophet is called the anti-spirit. This is where we have one world economic system. And so look at the scripture on this. Revelation 13 says, then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and his people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Again, you see the story about, oh yeah, this fatal wound, he's been healed. He rose again. <laughs> it's crazy. But that was the big selling point as to why we should worship this beast because he rose again. It's crazy. So obviously it's a rip off of the real thing, Jesus. It says, he did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. It seems like I read that somewhere else where fire came down from the sky. Oh yeah, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two. So this is again a rip off of the real spirit of God. And so once again, and with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to the statue so that it could speak. Theologians believe that that doesn't mean that, that Satan gave life to the statue, but he gave the imitation of life, okay? Uh, then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship, it must die. And then you, what I'm going to read next is scripture you probably heard about, about Revelation, and we'll explain what it means. Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. He required everyone to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, uh, which was either the mark of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one who under, with understanding solve the meaning of the, the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. You guys have heard of 666? Anyone heard of that? Okay. Um, so just, just to kind of explain all this, the mark of the beast, people, people used to be real fearful about a one-world currency. People kind of freaked out when there was talk of, you know, let's, hey, let's all, let's put everyone on the dollar standard or the gold standard, or let's put everyone on the yen or whatever, whatever, you know, currency you think should, should be the dominant one. So people kind of freaked out about that. But we've now, technology has now surpassed that. So I don't believe that's even an issue anymore. Uh, I wouldn't worry about whether we all use the same currency. If we're all on a credit system, that means we're all using MasterCard or Visa or something like that. The, because it, when you, if you've ever traveled to Europe, I've done this. If you travel to Europe, you go to buy a, you know, Coca-Cola in Europe, like you'd buy one here. The price is different. It's a different, um, it's a different form of currency. But guess what? Your MasterCard knows all those numbers, so it does the currency change, exchange for you. So you actually don't need one world currency. You just need one world uh, way of exchange. 
And so we've actually passed the currency now. Now it's just about the exchange. We already have this in place. So this is one of the reasons why people think, oh, maybe we're near the end times. But I just want to remind you that people thought that 100 years ago too. So we really just don't know. And so, you know, there's no way to know. In fact, the Bible is very clear that there's no way anyone will know exactly in the end time. So if someone tells you, I know for a fact this is it, I can guarantee you it's not it. Because the Bible says no one knows. So, it, you know, anyone who claims to be an expert to tell you exactly when the end times is coming, it's just not true. So I believe the end of the world is going to happen whenever the Texans finally win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so that's my take. But, you know, so anyways, no, we have really no idea when exactly this is going to happen. But there clearly are some signs that we can point to. But for those who say, oh, the world's getting so scary and, you know, with ISIS and this and that, and, you know, all these scary things happening, I, I, I get it. I understand it seems really fearful because there's a lot of bad stuff going on. But I want to remind you that 50 to 60 years ago was way worse under Hitler and it wasn't the end of the world. And people literally thought it was. They thought, this is it. He's literally consolidating governments. He's taking over the world. I mean, we didn't join up with Russia because we like them. We joined up with Russia because we're like, yeah, we may not like each other, but we both agree we don't want you speaking German in five years. And so we need to take this guy out. And so that's why, of course, you know, we did. Our nations came together, and you know, that's why it's considered one of the greatest victories the world's ever seen. And so it's because we literally almost were taking over to a one-world government. So the, the, for people to say, oh, that could never happen, it almost did. It literally almost did happen. It almost happened again uh, with Rome. That's the reason why Rome is mentioned here. Uh, and the picture is painted of Rome, because Rome was like a one-world government. They were taking over everywhere. And so until finally they went down. So it actually absolutely could happen again. A couple of things I want to mention here. Uh, the 666, uh, what that means is man works six days and rests the seventh. So the six represents the best of what we are, of what we can offer. But seven is perfection. So when you see 777, that's what, those are the three numbers that represent God coming together because there's a perfect father, a perfect son, and a perfect Holy Spirit. So 666 represents an imperfect father, an imperfect son and the imperfect Holy Spirit or a counterfeit father, a counterfeit son and a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Now, most of us would think, well, pastor, I would never fall for that. I mean, come on. That's just so obvious. I'm not going to fall for some fake Christ. I'm not going to fall for some fake God, fake Holy Spirit. I understand that because you already understand it. You have the truth in you if you're a Christ follower. Most people here today probably are. So I'm sure most of you would, would come in agreement with that. But you know, the devil's a lot smarter than this. He's not going to try to tempt you to, to worship a false Jesus. He's not going to do that. No, he's going to tempt you with something that feels close to God's will, but it's not quite. So those of you who are single and dating right now, maybe you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Tell me about your boyfriend or girlfriend. Are they a Christian? Uh, yeah. Well, that doesn't sound very confident. I mean, you know, he's a good guy. And he, does, he is a Christian. I mean, he does, we did that. I asked him about that. I mean, he, he did grow up in church. And she did. I mean, you know, they're, they're, she's, she's, you know, she's, she's, you know, she's like a six out of seven. So she's close. So we would, the Bible would call it counterfeit. I think we like to call it make it fit. To where, I mean, this isn't quite what I think God had in mind, but it's pretty close. I can make him work. I can make her, I can, I can get her there. I can get him there. Well, you don't, you don't date projects, you date people. <laughs> and so when you try to make it fit, it's actually counterfeit. You know, maybe for you, you're already married. And so, so maybe, you know, maybe there's some men in the room who, you know, you know, for you to have that intimate time you're looking for with your wife, you got to put in the work, man. You're going to have to honor her and love her and cherish her and care for her and take care of her. And you think, that's just a lot of work. I'll just wait till she goes to bed and just look a little bit of porn tonight. 
counterfeit. I mean, it looks great. <laughs> it's not real, but it looks great. Yeah, it's counterfeit. Six out of seven. So you're watching someone else's experience. It's not real rather than having your own experience. It is real. Six out of seven. It's counterfeit. You fall for the not real thing. You know, maybe for you, it's, uh, you know, you're trying to make this position work. You think this is really what God has, but it's just not working, but you're just going to make it into what it's supposed to be. And it's like, uh, you can try that all you want, but if it's not God's will, it's not God's will. It's just six out of seven. I just want to remind you that the devil does not tempt you with what doesn't tempt you. He tempts you with what does look good, that does sound good, what, what you really want to make work. But it's just not it. So I want to encourage you today that you don't have to be in the end times to be fooled. You can be fooled even as a Christ follower. Don't miss God's will. Life is too short to settle for a six when God wants to give you a seven. Don't settle. The next event that happens after this is the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to unpack that next week. Before we do that, I just want to, want to leave us with one conclusive verse here. I want to read 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Here's what that means. God's not taking a long time to come like we think. Like some of you may be thinking, I mean, the world's getting so bad. Jesus, just come back and take us home, right? I mean, it's just so crazy. Why don't you just, just call it? You know, the, the, the world's bad. It's crazy. Have you been to our public schools lately and our, you know, the people, the are, are going crazy and families are a mess and the world has gone mad. And I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff. Going. I mean, Jesus just come back. But it's his love that doesn't cause him to come back because when he comes back, you know, that cousin of yours, that friend of yours, that spouse, that child that doesn't know Jesus, when he comes back, it's done. That opportunity is over. So because he loves us, he is slow to do that, giving you as much opportunity to repent before it's too late. So, well, so when he comes back, then it's too late, right? No, actually, it's not at that point, because we'll go to heaven. People will see our absence. Unrestrained evil takes over the world for three and a half years before God begins to conquer it, and it's total, totaled out at seven years before the tribulation is done. And so seven years of sheer torture and horrible, crazy, hor I mean, things you would never wish on anyone to begin to happen... You say, well, how could a loving God let that happen? Because a loving God knows as bad as that is, that's better than hell. So I'm going to give you seven years of warning. Look how bad this is. You may want to turn to Jesus. There are going to be tribulation Christians, people that receive Christ after we all are ascended to heaven. They realize, wow, I missed it. And God gives them a last chance as well. And so there's that seven-year period. That's God's loving you enough to give you a warning but let me just tell you, if you die before any of this happens, you, you, you don't have another warning at that point. You may say, well, I'll, I'll receive Christ one day. Okay, well, what if you're hit by a bus on the way home today? I hope you're not, but I don't have any guarantee of that, do you? We all know we're going to die one day, but we don't know how or when. And because of that, I highly recommend that you don't put this off. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Don't put this off. Receive Christ now. You know what this tells me? This tells me that since we don't know when Christ is going to come back, we should do everything we can as if it's tomorrow, as if it's today. 
Let's not put this off. And so what should we do? It also says in Scripture here, it says that when he finally comes back, all the work we do on earth will be exposed. You know what that means? It means one day, even if you think you're going to keep it all to yourself, well, I'm not going to tell anybody how I really spend my money. Well, one day we will know how because it'll be exposed. So if you made it all about you, one day we'll all know that. If, you, if all of your time isn't consumed in your own little world, making your own self you know, popular and famous and, and, and as cool as you can and making life so great for you, but you never think about someone else, that'll be exposed. If you served others and cared for others and made your life about others and pouring your life out for others, it'll be exposed too. If you make everything about you about you and not about others, where's it going to get out? It'll be exposed. In other words, there's going to be a day of judgment that comes. And so because of that, maybe you and I should begin to do things for others now. Maybe you and I should begin to serve and to give and to be compassionate, to pour our hearts out for others. What I'm trying to tell you is, you know why I want to read the book of Revelation to you? You know why I want to talk about how crazy it's going to be and how there is going to be an end and there is a heaven and there's a hell? Is because if we don't talk about this, we won't have the passion and the understanding of why we need to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's why we do this. About 10 years ago, uh, someone said to me, hey, Pastor, you need to come check out this Facebook string, this, this comment section going on. I was like, okay, it wasn't on our Facebook, it was someone else's. And uh, they said, don't you know this person? I looked at it, I was like, oh gosh, I do. Our kids go to school together. And so I knew who it was and, and uh, they were going off on the church. I was like, oh wow, I don't have Facebook. And, uh, but, but someone just pulled it up and said, hey, look at this. And so I began to read the comments and uh, I now don't do that anymore. I'm like, I don't even want to know. And so if you don't like me, great. Keep that between you and God. I don't care, no. But anyways, but I was reading through this whole comment section and they were just ripping the church. And it all started because someone didn't like the fact that we bought or we rented a billboard on the highway in our city to invite people to come to church. And they're like, who would do that? That costs thousands of dollars. What a waste of money. And then after that, anyone who didn't like us kind of thought this is our opportunity to pile on. So it was like, oh, that church, they're just about money. And all they ever do is talk about how much they have in attendance. And they're always just this and just started going off on us. You know, why are they send these mailers and, the, you know, these cards in the mail are so expensive. Why they, they could have given all that money to the poor. I mean, just on and on and on. And I'm, I'm like yelling at my screen trying to talk to back to them, but I can't, you know, but I'm like, we do give money to the board and we do help out with the hurting and we do. But, you know, people just assume like if you do the billboard, somehow we said no when we pulled money out of the hands of poverty people and said, we're going to spend it here. <laughs> That's not how it happens. You know, we, we do help the poor. We do help the needy. We also reach out for lost people at the same time. It's not one or the other, it's both, you know? And so, but this whole string was just ripping us all the way down until I got to the very bottom and then it all made sense. Because the last few lines... The lady who began the whole thing said, said, yeah, it's such a waste of time. Why do you spend all this money? And besides, there is no hell anyways. I was like, oh, well, now it makes sense because there's no hell. So why would you rent a billboard to get people to come to church and tell them about Jesus? Why does it matter now? If there's no hell, then why build another church building? If there's no hell, then who cares whether any students come to the youth ministry? If there's no hell, then... Why does it matter whether we bring people, bring students in and children in to hear about the gospel? And if there's no hell, I mean, what's the big deal? But if there is a hell, why aren't we renting out 10 more billboards and opening 10 more campuses and having 20 more youth groups and reaching 500 more kids every chance we get if there is a hell? So the Bible is very clear that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And it's forever. And I don't want any of my friends or my family to go there. I want them to go to heaven. And so that's what I'm spending my life doing. That's what we're all about here at the church. And the reason why every once in a while we need to pull out the scariest scripture in the Bible and read it is to remind ourselves why we give. 
why we serve, why we bring people, why we pray for our lost friends and family, why we invite them to events and to church services. Why do we do this? It's because it's real. And friends don't let friends go to hell. They just don't. And so this may seem scary to you. And I get it. You remember, I don't like churches that preach hellfire and brimstone. Normal, we don't. Honestly, this is not a normal sermon for me. Ask anyone around you that's come here a lot. They'll tell you, oh yeah, we don't normally talk like this. But at the same time, it's true. And maybe you've heard me preach again and again about how Jesus loves you and he will forgive you your sins and he'll give you a purpose. And maybe you think, oh, that's all great, but that's not working for me. Well, maybe it'll work for you the fact that there's a hell and you can avoid it. And so maybe none of those, well, I don't like that. I don't think, I think that's manipulative. Well, there's some people who just aren't going to come because it all sounds flowery and nice. Some people need to know that you're going to avoid your worst nightmare. So get your fire insurance today and receive Jesus. Either way, either way, don't miss out on Christ. And I'm not trying to scare anyone today, but I'm not going to avoid the truth either. It is real. But you know what? He does give you purpose. He does give you hope. He does forgive your sins. He does give you a fresh start. That's worth it alone. But he also helps you and delivers you and saves you from eternity without God. That matters. That's why John wrote the book of Revelation. Would you pray with me? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would we take a moment to pray? Don't fall for the counterfeit. Don't fall for this one world religion or government or economic system. That's not the way to go. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you've fallen for a six rather than a seven. Maybe you're already Christ's father, but you realize, wow, I, I never even thought about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it fit, which really means it's counterfeit. If that's you today, no one's looking around. All of our campuses right now, maybe you're in this prayer time and you know you're trying to make a relationship fit that's counterfeit. Maybe you just need to lift your hand to God today and say, God, I recognize this isn't your will and I'm gonna do something to get out of this. Will you lift your hand high to God if that's you today? Thank you. There's hands going up all across our auditorium. Thank you. It may be a dating relationship. It may be a friendship. Either way. Maybe someone you work close to that you just can't do that anymore. You're trying to make it work. It's just not. You just know it's not God's will. That's fine. It may be messy, but it'll be messier if you keep going. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, Maybe today you realize that, that it's easier for Pastor Bill to kind of expose the truth to you today than to be exposed years from now on the fact that many people are not doing much for God. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you know in your heart of hearts you're not doing a whole lot for God, just admit it to him and change. I wanna challenge you to begin to serve, to become a giver, you know, if we really believe there's a hell, then why aren't we giving more so we can do more missions? So we can support more work happening across the world? Today, maybe your confession to God is to say, God, forgive me, I have not thought about the impact that I should be having. And so I commit to you to become a giver or to become someone who serves. If that's you, would you lift your hand high to God today and just say, God, I'm gonna to begin to make a difference. I'm gonna get my eyes off myself and recognize there's a world in need of God. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our campuses right now. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm not here to determine what that looks like for you, but you just, you just obey God. Whether that's giving or serving or both. 
I don't know where you're lacking, but I want to challenge you to say, God, I will not let myself get exposed as someone who's a do-nothing Christian. I will do something. I will make an impact. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Please let us help you avert your worst nightmare. I don't want you to go through this kind of wrath. God has a better way. He sent his son, Jesus, to save you and to save me. You can receive him right now by praying this very simple prayer. Pray this prayer with me today. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I believe you're the real God. I invite you into my life. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And now, Jesus, help me bring my friends to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.